Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Hey friends, it's Jake from the Unlaced Podcast. Welcome to episode two. Today we had the awesome and energetic Adam Gibson on, NBL veteran who's played in the league for over 15 years. In this episode, he goes into his journey across the league, playing for a couple of franchises that aren't around anymore, his time at the London Olympics, and how he's planning for life after basketball. We hope you enjoy it, and thank you again for tuning in. Gibbo, my man, how are you? I'm good, man. Not too bad. Obviously stuck in isolation and uh, gone a little bit stir-crazy, but... It is what it is. We just got to make the most of it, I suppose. Yeah, I know. I've actually got, man, you don't understand what's just happened here, why we started this call 15 minutes late. But I'm working with Ethan and Will from Room 10 um, company and they're, they're like the film guys, you know, they're, they're, they're helping me out. But one of the light bulbs exploded. This is uh, what happens when you have your production, mate. You got to handle these little situations. Pretty <laughs> all the hard work. Man, I've seen, I watched a couple of um, Gibbo Goes One-on-One You've got a, you've done a, a lot of episodes, and you what what are you saying? You started them when 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 we went into lockdown, right? Yeah, so pretty much the first week of lockdown, they were like, yeah, let's start them up, and um, literally since then I've been doing them. So I think I've done about twenty two, maybe twenty three now. And that just shows how long we've been in this lockdown for. Um, it's yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, I've had some pretty cool guests, mainly NBL basketball players, but. To be able to kind of expand and talk to guys like Peter Stittle from the Australian cricket team, it was a lot of fun. Saw that some one. AFL guys and um, yeah, like obviously I'll try and get more athletes like that and expand to different sports. But it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man, you're you're an athlete. Do you how do you how do you prepare for them? Out of curiosity, I mean, are you are you just going in rogue or are you giving some prep to it? What's your style? Nah, giving a lot of giving a lot of thought. Um, most most of the guys I've known, so I've got a bit of background, but. I normally either jump online and check out the bios of what they've done in their career, but then ask people or put up posts. Um, you can find a lot on the internet, but I normally ask a close mate, a brother, a sister, a family member of, of information about them. Um, and I put up a post on Instagram as well, just to, if anyone wants to ask a question or you know has something funny that they might think is good to bring up. That's awesome, dude. I saw you actually did one with um, Paddy Mills. I know he's one of your good mates. Um, he strikes me as a guy that's just so down to earth, like a, a guy that's almost sitting at a family barbecue and you wouldn't know he's got a couple of chips to his name, you know, he just seems very humble and, um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he was, I think he was my second guest I had on there and I've changed a lot since then. I think I talked to him for about probably about an hour and 15 minutes, which is, it's a lot, that's a long podcast, but for me, it was just getting to catch up with him. Cause you know, we've been best mates for ages, but he's always been overseas. I've been here in Australia. So it was, it was great to, to chat with him and catch up, but you're right. You wouldn't know he's a multi-millionaire, like, you know, won NBA championships. He, he doesn't consider himself a, a basketballer. He doesn't want to be known as that. So it's pretty mm-hmm. awesome to have someone like him represent not just basketball, but Australia with everything going on as well. Yeah, man. He's, um, he's awesome. It's like one of the, one of the guys you can always rely on to perform for the Aussie team, which is, 
Um, and even San Antonio to an extent, like when, when stuff, you know, is happening in the playoffs, he seems to be a guy that stands up, which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, I was talking to him. He's, he's also what's awesome, I think, for him is obviously the Spurs have had that massive tradition and history of that club. You know, Tim Duncan, Parker Ginobili, and he's now like kind of one of those guys. Like he's a leader of that group and Pop goes to him and knows that he's, you know, one of the main guys. And for someone that come from Australia to be part of that club and to have that kind of, I guess to be known as, as one of those guys is pretty awesome for him. He's up there in the record books with a lot of different stats and um, he's obviously done really well. Man, that's crazy. And I guess just to go to build a little bit about your career, I mean, I didn't realize you played in the NBA for since your 15th or 16th season. You've been around. You're an NBL vet, man. Yeah, I've been in the NBL for a while, straight out of the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra. Beautiful <laughs> AIS. But yeah, <laughs> 15 or yeah, maybe going into my 16th, um, played a lot of different teams and 400 and something games now. And it doesn't feel like it's been that long. I still feel like I'm 25. I've got to start coming to reality soon. But I mean, it's pretty awesome coming from Tassie to, to play, I guess, that long in a professional league. Um, yeah, I think I'll look back on it once I'm done and retired. But for now, I'm just living the, uh, every kid's dream to, pray, uh, to play pro sport. Man, that's great. Yeah, I feel I feel no matter how skillful you are to play at the top for that long, you've got to have more than just a jump shot, you know, or be skillful. I think it takes a lot on the, the body and the mind. So to be able to have that durability, um, you know, testament to you, man, that's that's just un, unreal. And you, you did, you you are from Tassie. So you you your basketball journey kind of began, I guess, probably in Tassie, but you made the move to the AIS before the NBL. So around, I think it was 2004, right? Yeah, um, yeah, you went from inside into what it was like at the AIS for you. It was different, man. Like obviously leaving home for the first time as a, I think I was maybe 15, 16. Um, never left home. I didn't want to leave home. Didn't know anything better than being around, you know, the family and whatnot. So that was pretty daunting. I think what makes it so much easier is every other athlete that's doing it is doing the same thing. So they're leaving home for the first time. We all live back then. It was like a little jail cell. So you have like your little room with a little sink in it. And so you have 11 other guys that are all your same age that are doing the same thing. So it was a lot of fun. I've still got Patty, like great mates, Joe Ingalls. And obviously you meet other guys from different sports there. Um, you know, netball, soccer, um, you know, kind of everything, gymnastics. So it was a lot of fun. Um, obviously it teaches you a lot of life lessons. I, I was, I've moved house a lot and I remember um, this is a long time ago, obviously being a little bit older, but you know, they teach you how to cook. You do cooking classes, how to write a resume. And they had like a floppy disk of like <laughs> a resume that, that we got taught how to, how to write a resume. So That's that was in crazy, a box. I found it was pretty cool, but um, for a young kid to go in there and learn life lessons like that's pretty important. Yeah. You would have been in the, um, the old residence. Cause you know, I was, I went to the AIS. I actually went to the AIS with Creaky. He probably doesn't remember yep. me, but we were soccer soccer players were hated there. I mean, we were little shits. Um, I we still were... got some mates from from uh, that soccer, but you... I think it was cool. I think it was cool, man, because just everyone like it was awesome just to mingle with different sports. And Tassie's like not off the not out of Australia, but like it's kind of its own little island, and you don't really see a lot of different sports, pro sports teams, especially back then. So to, to go and see other athletes from different sports and kind of like a little mini olympics i guess it's just different sports and people mingling it yeah man. you know the dining hall and all that stuff was a lot of fun it's so it's so unique to any sporting experience i feel um like i can't think of anything like it you, essentially the, all the best athletes in the country or the prospective athletes in, in every sport living in the same place it's um 
it was kind of like a prison for sport in some ways because as, as fun as it was, it was quite repetitive in the cycle of what you did. I mean, you just train, sleep and eat. <laughs> oh, it was tough. Like I, I definitely noticed like early on adjusting to training three times in a day. So you get up and you train at like six in the morning. Then you'd have to go to school because obviously everyone's still in school at that, at that time. So you get the bus to school. You've got to come back in your lunch break and do an individual, mm. eat lunch and then quickly go back to school on the bus do you finish up school and then come back and practice at night, kind of eat dinner, go to sleep or go to study hall. It's, this is like five days a week. It was pretty intense. And I'm, I'm happy. I was so happy in my second year I was done with school. So I didn't have to yeah. go to school. <laughs> me, back, too. me too. It was pretty tough and pretty tiring for a young kid to, to have to three days in school in between and then study hall at night. It was, oh, it was, study a hall was the worst, man. I had to that's, I changed from tertiary to accredited. So I didn't have to go four nights a week. I could go two. So I kind of tried to dumb it down. Hours one hour, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty full on. Man, it was crazy. And then I, like you, I finished my second year. So I started doing the AIS tours. <laughs> so I started yeah. walking the primary school kids around. But um, yeah, it's crazy, man. Um, one, of the, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because I know you've, um, I guess, had a pretty awesome NBL journey and um, I'm aware of some of the, the awesome things you've done across the NBL, but I, I really want to get some insight and you're the second Olympian on the second guest and the second Olympian we've had on to, I guess what it was like for you at the London Olympics um, and maybe just getting a bit of insight into, you know, off the court in the, in the Olympic village, that whole experience must've been just amazing. Yeah. Well, obviously like the playing sort of thing, the, the thing that's kind of tough about it. Um, well, not tough, but, Basketball or, you know, team sports, you kind of play the whole two weeks where mm. like swimmers, for example, they, they swim for the first week and then they're done. So they're out like, nice. they're enjoying the village, they're enjoying, you know, the food hall and the macas and whatever and like <laughs> other sports do the same thing. So yeah. that was tough to get, I guess, your head around. But um, yeah, just being in the village, again, kind of like the AAS where you're just walking through and you're seeing like, I've never seen so much lycra in my whole life. You know, it was hot <laughs> in London as well. So there wasn't a lot of clothing, but just all different countries and the colors and all the, you know, different apartments with flags and all done up for each country and the food hall, you know, just Maccas and every kind of cuisine, uh, cuisine you could possibly think of is just all spread out in the one food hall. That's um, you know, trying to go on and watch other sports during um, days off. Um, you know, if you weren't practicing or getting up extra shots, yeah, uh, it was pretty surreal, you know, going for the opening ceremony was something I'll never forget. It was, it wasn't a lot of fun as an athlete because you basically wait for two hours. The whole show goes on. I remember, I think the Spice Girls were playing and you could hear it. You could hear it out the back, but there was no screen to watch because athletes kind of walk out last. So yeah. just a lot of standing around, but just walking through and then walking around the track and people going crazy and all that kind of stuff is um, something I'll never forget. Man, what's that, what was that feeling like when you walked out on the track when the, the guys are holding the Aussie flag and you got the, the blazers on and everything? It was, it was unreal. Like, obviously, you just countries either side and just a massive kind of tunnel of, of people and just walking out there and just massive crowd filled up with, you know, people, um, noise, show, like entertainment, dances. I remember because Patty uh, Mills and Joe Ingalls, they've obviously been before, so I was pretty tight with them, but they, they know, like, where the cameras are. So I remember, <laughs> like, there's a pretty, there's a cool photo of the three of us and you're not meant to take your jacket off. Um, but we, for some reason, we took our jacket off and we knew, they knew, all right, the camera's coming up. They knew when to look at the camera and kind of <laughs> you did a pose, played up you? a bit. And, 
played up and have some fun. I got a pretty cool photo of that where we, we got our jacket off looking at the camera. I think and, I've seen it. I don't know how. I yeah. think I've seen it somewhere. Um, yeah, because I, I, I remember that Olympics. I feel like you guys had a really good Olympics and performance and we got knocked out by the US, didn't we? In the, in the yeah, quarters. We, we had a great, great kind of tournament, some really good games. Um, you know, obviously we beat China. Brazil was a tough game. Paddy hit a game winner against Russia. I don't think that mattered too much, but the games are awesome. We, we beat Great Britain, eight o'clock game. I think we were down by 10 or 15 in the first half and then we just caught fire and just completely turned it. And that's, that was a, one of the funnest games because normally you play at like 11 in the morning. Like you get the worst time slots. USA get the best. <laughs> so we finally played Great Britain on their home court and it was, I think, eight o'clock at night. And we were, first quarter, we were getting our, our butt handed to us. And then the second half, we just turned it around and that was awesome. But yeah, we played USA and three-quarter time, maybe a couple of minutes into the fourth, was close. And then Kobe just goes bang, bang, bang with three threes. And Man, I actually... Before you know it, the game's done. I remember it. I feel we were with them for up until half time, even three-quarter yeah. time. And then the last quarter, it's like... They it was into, close. Into it was number. back and forth. Paddy was playing well. Joe was playing well. It was so close. And then Kobe legit just went... Three Bang. threes in a row, and it was a fifteen-point game. Man, game that's over. crazy. What was it like? Being, did you did you get on the court that game? Were you were you there? No, or? I didn't. I had the best best, best seat, seat in the house. The, the towel, the towel wave. <laughs> Some of the best players in the world. Like I, I didn't play a lot. And obviously, that happens. Um, oh, I man. played a few minutes against. I played against Brazil. Um, I think against Great Britain and stuff. And it was awesome, you know, scoring your first points in the Olympics. But you know that happens when you have an unbelievable team. And I'm just I'm super stoked to be part of that team. But um, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was we were there, and obviously USA, uh, who they are, and Kobe, like I said, just is like enough of this and just ice the game. What was it like when Kobe and LeBron were on the court and you're sitting there? I mean, is it is it are they really that? Are they on just such another level that it's you know when they switch it on, you can't stop it? What what was what was it like from your view? To be honest, I don't like it's a bit of a blur that whole game. I like I remember sitting there and watching a little bit. I remember like you know Russell Westbrook is like one of the quickest players to cover the floor. I remember him guarding um, Delhi one time and he was all into his all into him and just so quick and, and whatever. But I can't really remember too much else. Um, yeah. yeah. Obviously they're they're super freaks, like massive players that can just run, jump, everything stronger. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. Australian program right now is is in great shape. I'd be, as they would be, disappointed if they don't medal in Tokyo. Yeah, I feel, I feel like the um, currently Aussie basketball. I don't know from your your in it, but my view from from outside is that the NBL and basketball in general is just getting bigger in this country each year, and it's probably because we've got so many great players now playing in the NBA and being key players in big teams. Um, is, do you yeah, feel the NBL is getting more traction from from that? Oh, no question. Since Larry Kesselman and his team took over, I think five years ago, it's just gone to a whole new level. Obviously, the NBA players are in the NBA and making massive noise with that stuff. But I think Larry and his team, you know, taking NBL games for preseason to play against NBA teams is something that you would never have thought, you know, seven eight years ago um, how the league was going. So him bringing his team in and doing that kind of stuff. Playing against NBA teams in preseason, it's pretty special. Um, like you said, the NBA games, obviously the NBA, uh, the Boomers versus USA game last year in Melbourne at Marvel was another massive step. And yeah, I credit a lot of it to Larry and the NBL for, for building the sport in Australia. And that allows us to get, you know, RJ Hampton, Lamelo Ball to come out here and play. Like that, oh. that's what 
game. I wanted to ask you about Lamelo. What was that like? What was he like to play against? You would have played against him, I assume, when he was at Illawarra. Just the the height of him. Like I, I missed the first game, but I played against him. I think one time. Um, just he's so like he's so tall and just kind of athletic. You know, you have position on him, but then you can just jump over your back and just grab the ball. Like he's yeah. he, he'll be. Be a great player in a question. He'll, I think he'll for sure go number one. Yeah. Um, I've talked to a bunch of their guys about you know him and down to earth guy. Obviously, it's a massive shit show of just cameras and yeah. you know he's signing autographs and there's no one else to sign. Like all the kids are lining up for him and no one yeah. else is getting the Lamelo show. Man. Yeah. Lamelo show. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he, he's a super talented kid and he's so young as well. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes. I reckon he'll go number one too. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sad I actually didn't get to watch him play while he was down here. It was short lived in the end. But yeah, um, I guess w- one thing we both experienced in, in a, I mean, you've had an incredible NBL career. You, what have you won? A couple of championships, defensive player of the yeah. year. That's got to be above yeah. the two championships. That's big, man. <laughs> Um, and then you've been in the uh, all NBA, all NBL second team uh, a handful of times too. So you've, you know, Gibbo, Gibbo knows what he's doing, man. Gibbo knows how to play. But one thing I realized actually, and similar to me, and maybe a reflection of some of the growing sports in Australia, is you've played for a lot of franchises that aren't around anymore. Um, and I'm keen to get your side of like, what's that like as a player when, you know, you're playing for a franchise that's doing well and all of a sudden it's just poof, gone. Yeah, it's tough. Like the first team, Brisbane Bullets, who are obviously now back in the league. It was my third year. We won the championship the year before. Um, so I'm thinking, here, second second year in the league, I've got a championship. This is easy. The next year we lost in the semis. And then our owner, you know, he went bankrupt or whatever. And the, the league fell under. And I was so young. I clueless, had no idea around what was going on behind the scenes. So that was nothing. I moved down here to Melbourne to the South Dragons. Gorgian, Ingalls, Worthington, unbelievable team Crazy in that team, championship. Man. So I've now won two championships in four years. I'm like, man, I must be some kind of lucky charm. <laughs> but after that year, the Dragons pulled out. Yeah. So I'm like, well, hold on a minute. What's going on here? Because the league were going through changes and a whole bunch. Of, so now I'm like, well, this isn't, this isn't right. So whatever, went from Melbourne, went to the Gold Coast, um, back to my original, like, Brisbane Bullets coach, Joe Wright, who was on the Gold Coast now, was there for three years, and then that team folded. And I'm like, now I know kind of what's going on. Like, now I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. Um, it's not me. I'm not stealing all the money. I'm not taking all the cash. Like, what's, <laughs> why? Um, yeah. But I think the league was just, it wasn't in a great position. Like, ownership and the model and everything kind of, it just wasn't right. So... Um, yeah, that was my third team in three, like six, seven years to, to fold. And that's kind of what I've said a bunch of times now. Like my probably 10 of my 15 years, the league has been in such bad shape that I wish I was starting now. I wish I was a young kid starting Man, now. You make more money, bigger profile, better opportunity. Who knows where the career could have gone, but yeah. just so have it that, that that kind of happened. So from the Gold Coast, went to Adelaide and finally after Adelaide, got to make a decision myself of where I want to play. Like yeah. it was... It took yeah. that long, like kind of 10 years, and now I can choose. But it was tough to kind of deal with, and that's why I give so much credit to Larry and his team now for where the league is at mm. um, compared to what it was because there were teams pulling out all, all over the place. Yeah, man. That, that instability as a player must have just been – I had it once in the Gold Coast. I think I was at the Gold Coast when you were at the Gold Coast, and then we were in Adelaide when you were in Adelaide as well. Yeah. But it, it was just like all of a sudden you feel – 
you just it's just gone and your 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 careers now you're looking elsewhere and it's it just changes the whole you know uh, situation for you I think I'm pretty lucky because I was, I was obviously younger when I was going through it all, so I could always go to another team. But there's, there's been so many players, whether fringe players or whatever, that have lost their job from basketball because of teams folding. Like, it just, it's killed so many jobs. And I, mm. there was 13 teams, I think, when I first started. It's gone down to eight, um, you know, nine now. So it was kind of five, five teams have gone. That's, you know, 50 jobs mm. that, you know, when there's not that many to start with, it's it's a fair chunk. Yeah, man, that's that's it's hard to take, but it, it seems like for me that the uh, the the league's in such a strong place now, and I'm keen to understand, I guess, that the energy around Melbourne, and you've come back to Melbourne, which I guess is probably a, a bit of a second home to you, being close to Tassie. But what what's the energy around, I guess, the newly formed Southeast Phoenix and the franchise you're, you're a part of now? It's unbelievable, mate. That's Probably the most, one of the most professional teams I've ever played for. And this is one year. Not, there wasn't even a year into, a, into the whole thing being reborn or being started up. Um, the way the club put everything together from the staff, top to bottom, I give Tommy Greer, an ex-player, a lot of credit. He's obviously been through as a player, worked with the NBL, now a GM, um, the ownership group. But, you know, from top to bottom of, you know, first time I've ever had to have a chef to cook us food. And wow. um, I don't know what it's like with footy, but, you know, stuff, little things like that that just make our job so much easier. Now, always as a brand new club with a brand new team, you're probably not going to have a lot of on-court success. We, can, we won our first five games. Um, the second half of the year, we won't talk about, but <laughs> as, far as, a prof- as far as a professional team starting out, it's, it's one of the best I've been at. And I think being out in Southeast Melbourne where the participation rate of kids, it's just through the roof. So the support and seven, 8,000 people to our home games at Melbourne Arena is just, it was so much fun to be a part of. Man, you're, that's probably the one sign you do want in your first year is the, the club's professional and it's ambitious. And you know the on-court's going to follow um, in time, which um, I'm sure it will. So I guess, it, so Creaky's a, a part of the team now too. So he's, I'm seeing his, uh, his haircut floating about while he's dunking and, uh, harassing the opposition that must be cool to play with one of your best mates who i know you're living with as well yeah i mean he's uh, they brought him in as a franchise player you know he was at the in the nba for a, for a small stretch um yeah great great guy for the club does a lot in the community um obviously a great player as well so to, to have him um as one of our key players was massive for, for the club he was borderline going to go to the nba and um our club this is what's so good about our club was we were we everyone wanted him to go like we we're going to lose him, but we all wanted him to succeed and go that's and awesome, move man. on and make his dream a reality. Um, and that's what's so good about the club. But yeah, to have him and the group we had was a lot of fun. And um, obviously we're going to make some changes for this upcoming season. But the core, I think, is what we really had locked in. Um, established in values. And I'm sure you've been through it with clubs and yeah. what, what we want to be known as as a club. And um, I think that's why we've had a, a successful year because um, we've done so much in the community as well. Yeah, man, that's good. And South East, I'm a Southeast boy, so represent. And that's that's awesome. I'm sure the, the people of, of the areas will get behind you. Um, actually, one one of the things I was... Key, have, you, have you watched The Last Dance? Did I have. You, man, I, that's the greatest documentary I've ever seen. Unreal. <laughs> But I wanted to, st- I wanted to, after I watched it, I'm like, I want to go do some shots. I need to go get my shots. <laughs> like, I can't even shoot, but I'm like, I need to go to the court. Like, I was so pumped. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, did you take anything away from it? 
just all the stuff you kind of see, like you kind of, you know, you see Jordan videos and highlights and stuff back in the day, but it just seems like it's so much more detailed of how he was. Like, I'm sure he was a nightmare to be around at sometimes, but that's why he won. I'm, I'm, assume, I'm assuming Kobe was probably the same, like just demanded the best, was always hard on people. I feel bad for, I think, Scott Burrell. He, he copped it so, so yeah. bad all the time. He did, didn't but, he? You know, you see Jordan winning, you know, sprinting races and, and all that stuff. And just, I guess, his perception of how people thought they could guard him. When you see, like, Gary Payton and these players talking about, oh, man. you know, how they could guard Jordan. And he's like, he's I done. had no problem with GP. Like, he, he was <laughs> yeah. nothing. Like, he starts all lighting. that stuff I love because he's... I think he's the best player ever. And obviously there's others before and after, but just that mindset and just the way he laughs, like he could not guard me. I had no issues with him. Like just all that stuff I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, man. They give him that, the iPad. I think it's Gary Payton, right? They give him the <laughs> iPad and like, oh, gee, he just starts laughing. Like, come on, starts man. laughing. The glove. I had no problem with the glove. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I loved it. I was awesome. No, I, I, people like Jordan and Kobe, I mean, they inspire me for what they did on the court. But one of the things that I've been promoting with this podcast is like the, the whole transition uh, coming out of sport. And Jordan, yeah. Jordan essentially made, made more money outside of basketball using his platform to be better. And Kobe, rest his soul, was on the path to doing just amazing things off the court too, um, which I took a lot of inspiration from. And I'm, I know you're, you're at a point in your career where every year you're, you're loving life and, you know, lapping up what's there to have. But at the end of the day, you're probably having a, a bit of an idea of what's next too. Yeah. Um, so what, what's that kind of like for you? I remember we spoke the other day. It was quite funny. You said, yeah, people have been asking me this question for 10 years, <laughs> what I'm doing next. And I've never known. Literally for, yeah, probably 24, maybe even younger. Like, uh, you know, what are you going to do after basketball? And I'm like, well, I've got no idea. Hopefully I can play for the next 10 years. Now that 10, 10 years is getting close to coming up, but <laughs> yeah. I've definitely, um, like, I still don't 100% know. Um, I want to, I love basketball. I want to be involved. I think I'd be a great coach. That's my ultimate goal. I know there's not a lot of jobs, probably not great money for that. Um, that's why, you know, starting my own podcast and start, starting to do some other stuff around media to try and stay involved in the NBL, in basketball somehow is the ultimate, ultimate goal. Um, that's just what I love. I think I'm really good at, you know, reading the game and delivering it back to, to kids and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's what I want to do. Um, whether that will happen, I don't know. So you're yeah, doing podcasts and working with the NBL behind the scenes to try and establish some other things. Um, also like I, I love, like we, I've renovated, we renovated our house in Brisbane kind of two years ago. So that whole, I remember being at the AAS and doing sport and woodwork and <laughs> putting a few little things together. So that's something that another passion as well, but, yeah. I find it kind of hard training and trying to become a builder or a carpenter kind of while I'm still playing basketball. So that's mm-hmm. something that I would like to do as well, kind of flip homes and stuff. But there's nothing set in stone. But I think if I had my time again, I probably would have studied or, you know, some kind of TAFE course just to add a few little things, a business course, um, whatever it may be, just so you've got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, just as backup plans. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me because it's it's hard for my situation i kind of came out of the sport young and it was like wasn't necessarily my choice where you're in a great position where i guess you it's a bit more in your control and and how you're going to phase it out um and it's it is a bit scary like it's a bit daunting when you when you're going you you know you've been wired to basketball since 
I guess, wired to make it to the top since you were 17, 18, living at the AIS. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, you're looking at other ways to stay around basketball, but it's, it's not the same as a player. So um, do you fear, fear what's next? Are you excited to, to, for a change maybe? Yeah, I'm de- I don't know fear, but I'm definitely concerned of how <laughs> I will be when I, I can't go and run around. You know, I've never been like a showy kind of like, you know, hype me up kind of person. But, you know, you obviously, to be able to say I'm a professional basketballer or I'm an athlete, that's going to change. You know, just little things like that, you know, yeah. people stopping you here and there. Um, but not being able to, you know, train and, and run around and do what I've done more than kind of half my life. Um, I think that's that will be the hardest change, and that's why, like, hopefully, I can stay involved in the sport, so I can at least be on the sidelines and tell people to go and run around like I used to. Yeah, yeah. This it's is the what same I would have kind done. of yeah. same kind of feeling, I guess, emotion and all that kind of stuff um, without the physical side. But I think I'm assuming for most athletes that would be the toughest. Is once you're actually done and you you don't keep doing what you've done for the last however many years, that, that would be the hardest adjustment, I think. Oh, man. Just like the going from playing in front of, for you, in, in packed stadiums to, you know, that's what you build up for each week, that performance, to hit that jump shot. So then, you know, your Saturdays are, are coaching kids or, you know, doing something yeah. else. It's so, so weird. Um, be so different. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm going to go to the supermarket and someone hype me up. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? You know, like... <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's what I that's what I'm most not 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 afraid of, but you know how how will I handle that that transition? I guess, and that's hopefully you know I've got some things in place to keep me busy enough to, and occupied enough to to not have to worry about it. Yeah, did the did the NBL? I mean, do they do they have anything in place to kind of help players? Is is there anything you know from a system point of view that's there to support? Yeah. The last, uh, with the Players Association, again, probably the last four or five years, it, it's become, you know, better and there's there's grants and money in there if you want to go and study or, um, you know, there's there's specific people you can go and talk to for help around that kind of guidance and counselling and all that kind of stuff. So there's stuff in place if you want to go and, you know, become a trade or, you know, study, there's grants there for you to be able to afford to do that while you keep playing. So they've definitely um, done a better job and um, that's something I think will improve in, in the near future. Yeah. Moving forward is helping the transition, sorry, of, um, you know, athletes moving on. Yeah. Do, do you give any advice to, you know, obviously a senior player and a leader, part of your team, do you give advice to some of the younger players coming in of how to either be more professional, to be better on the court or to have better balance in their life? Yeah, all the time, all the time. More, probably more on court and how to be a better, better athlete, better player, better pro. You know, turning up early. You know, I, I, I get frustrated when people just rock up at eight o'clock for an eight o'clock weight session. Like, get in fifteen minutes before and you know yeah. do a little bit of extra work, lift a little bit heavier. You know, get to the get to the court a bit earlier and you know work on your game. Um, grab a coach, shoot more shots. Um, that That's something I've always kind of done, even from a younger age is one, I've, I've always tried to lead by example as a captain of teams. And um, if I do it, then they should follow. But um, when you can't do it as much yourself, being a little bit older, you can't put in as many hours because the body's breaking down a little bit. It's more, you know, telling people to get in early or holding people accountable that way. So that's something I've definitely tried to focus on probably the last four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, outside of the, the Southeast Phoenix, what was the, the best time you were playing basketball? I mean, when was, when was it like you were at the top in a great team, a great franchise, just winning? Like, 
Um, well, the, the year I was in Melbourne was one of my funnest years playing-wise because the year before the team was, I think, 5-25. and 25. The year we, ca- we all kind of came in, um, Worthington, Mika Vicona, two great imports, Brian Gorgian came to coach and we went 25-5. and five. So for the, like five losses out of a whole kind of year was unreal. And living in Melbourne for the first time as a 20, I don't know, 22, 23-year-old. A lot of time. Yeah. One game a week was, <laughs> was a lot of fun, you know, like playing yeah. and starting in, in front of Melbourne Arena again, the same stadium with 10,000 people. Um, that was unbelievable. That was a lot of fun. The year we won it with the Bullets, I think we, we won 21 games in a row. Um, this is like 13 years ago now, but as far as playing-wise, I had to be involved in that. Um, and then the Gold Coast years, they were a lot of fun. Bigger role, one of the main guys living on the Gold Coast, as you know, is like a lot mm. of fun as well. Epic. Um, That's why the teams fold there, man, because everyone's having too much fun. They forget like they forget what's going on there, like the real world, That we, why we're there. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those years, I mean, yeah. Obviously some tough years with, you know, teams not doing so well. Adelaide was some good years in Adelaide as well. So everywhere I've been, we've kind of had good teams, but yeah, um, they're probably the main couple. But do, do you have a like a specific kind of idol or, or basketball mentor that, that was really pivotal for you in your career? I think probably CJ Bruton. Um, looked up to him as a player um, before I was an NBL player myself. And then was lucky enough um, to he we were on the same team that second year in Brisbane. So he was playing in Sydney the year before, and even playing against him then in my first year, like he would he'd grab me and talk to me and help me out with just some stuff, little bits and pieces here and there. And obviously he joined us that next year, and just learning from him, the way he plays is obviously phenomenal. But yeah. um, not a selfish player, gives so much time to everyone else, no matter on or off the court, and. Olympian and yeah, so he's and I still keep in touch with him. He was an assistant coach in Brisbane when I went back there, and someone I still keep in touch with now. So he's he's someone I looked up to as a player, but also helped me off the court as well. Yeah, man, that's 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 awesome. I remember I remember him playing as well. Um, he was a point guard. I remember he had the afro uh, for, <laughs> for a couple of years. Yeah, um, he's just he's he so smooth, man, because he could hit, he could he could shoot thirty shots a game, but he would pick and choose. He'd make sure you know. Everyone else is feeling good and they're not butt hurt because they haven't had a touch or had a shot. And then when the game's on the line, he'd knock down a couple of big shots. So yeah, he was awesome. He was he's, he's a funny guy as well. Do you, do you feel um, now you've gotten older and I guess more experienced with the game and you know the rigors of the NBL? Do you look at the game differently? Like, and have you adjusted how you play to suit you know the teams and where you're at in your career? Yeah, I guess a little bit. I haven't probably changed too much in how I play because, I mean, I was, besides probably my first years, I was quicker then, but I haven't relied on speed and athleticism and <laughs> all that kind of stuff to get me by. I'm not like a Kyrie Irving where I'm going to dribble the ball 48,000 times. I've always used my smarts to, to score or to play defense, and that's why I'm still playing, I think, now because yeah. I'm a smart player. I know how to pick gaps and distances and not get too close to someone. I know where I can get a shot if I need to shoot the ball. I know if someone needs to shoot the ball um, and all that kind of stuff. So I haven't changed too much. I don't think my game, um, I probably could have been more selfish at times and taken more shots, but just who I am, I'm not a selfish person. I prefer to move the ball around and just take what comes instead of forcing stuff. Yeah, because you, you've always been really the guy um, for most of the NBA. I mean, in Adelaide anyway, when I was watching you, <clears throat> yeah, you were raining threes of fun, but you were, you were definitely the guy there. Um, 
So I guess is and basketball for me is funny in that sense because when I come from football, there's always you know the best player on the team, but the team behind it is is critical to making sure that everything moves and the best player gets their full potential. With basketball, I don't think people give that enough respect because people kind of say, well, he's the franchise player. It's dependent on how well he does, but really the the core team, you know, the role players, everyone's got a you know a role to play essentially, especially in a playoffs period or a finals period. Um, so have have you kind of shifted now from being the guy to to someone who's got to drive team and p- perform, or do you still see yourself as you know that's who I am, that's how I played the game? Yeah, and no, I definitely try and drive. Like like you said, if you have a weak link on the basketball floor, you're going to get found out. Especially now nowadays, it's so easy to find a weak link if someone can't shoot. You, you're not going to go out there and guard them, so you're essentially playing four on five. It's a massive, massive advantage. So you do have your main players and your stars and whatever, but if, if you don't have the guys around you support cast, that's why I think Perth Wildcats have won so many championships because they've yeah. had their right people and their right players. I talked to Damian Martin on a podcast, and you come in there, you know what your role is. You're brought in to do that job. Now, you can expand your offense and, and work on it and get better, but you do your job first, and that's all that matters. And I think that's why they've been so successful. So mm-hmm. I think realizing what your role is is super important. For me, like, yeah, I definitely had teams where I've been one of the main guys, and um, now I think just happy to, to play a role. I think I'm still unbelievably important to be on the floor and to, to control things and make sure – everything's going smoothly and whatever and, and taking shots when I need to, but just making sure guys are doing the right things and holding people accountable. I think it's become more important. It's, it's a tough job. It's, it's not always enjoyable because you're always on people about doing the right things and it can get tiring at times. You pretty much have to worry about everyone else besides yourself, but yeah. that's what being a leader is. And, and that's, it just kind of comes with the territory. Yeah, you mate, you still got the three-point shot. I've seen you. I saw your rain and threes for fun last year. I still let it fly, man. Don't you worry <laughs> yeah. about that. You dropped 25 points in like three quarters last year or something. I was watching. I'm like, yeah, you know what was most disappointing about that? We were playing against Cairns, and I think I had 26 that game, but John Robertson, who's like one of the best point guards I've ever played with, happens to come out in the overtime, hit the, the uh, three-pointer to put it into overtime, but then... I think he scored like 15 points in overtime and then he took all the credit. I'm like, yo, I just had, I just had 25. So like I've just gone nuts, right? Yeah. Damn you, John. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Um, no, that's funny, man. That's funny. Um, what do you think of the NBA bubble? Do you reckon it's going to, I mean, do you reckon the top teams are still going to win in that? Or do you reckon the bubble kind of approach has, has flattened the competition a bit more? It's, I think it's evened it right out. Now, I think it's cool because the best team will win. Like, yeah. obviously, home court advantage is massive. You know you travel to Perth or you travel somewhere to play a game. It makes a massive difference where everyone's in the same place. There's no travel. Guys aren't out and about. So, I think even the AFL, like, guys are fresher because they're not out mm. doing anything they shouldn't be. And the same with the NBA. They're not traveling everywhere. They're just stuck in their room playing their game. So, literally, I think the best team will win. Um, it's definitely watered down a little bit, but yeah, I bar, think it's cool. Lou Williams. Lou Williams, what was he eating wings at a strip joint <laughs> the first week? <laughs> They're not all the sharpest tools in the shed, yeah. but the ones that are locked in, I think we'll win it. Yeah, yeah. He came out and it's like, uh, uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have been there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, do, you, do you, I guess when you look back on your career and, and even in life, is there is there some advice that you were given 
um, that's kind of always stuck with you and, and I guess helped you to become who you are on and off the court or something you've kind of stuck by? I just I had a saying like when I, I think I was at the Institute and it, one of the basketball girls put it up on the wall or something. I was like, kind of, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Like it's kind oh, of a corny yeah. little saying, but kind of you, you get out what you put in kind of mentality. So like, if you want to achieve something, you work, work your butt off and good things will probably happen. Um, yeah. Nothing's going to be given to you. Um, you basically have to go on, yeah, put in the work. And I've definitely found out that if you do work hard, like for me, as an example, you do get rewarded. Um, you put in the hours, you spend all the time in the gym, shoot a lot of shots. There's moments in games where that will come to the forefront and it'll pay off. Yeah. Um, it's all the little things as well. You, you know, taking care of your body at a young age. I, I, I was eating McDonald's and doing whatever because wasn't stretching and doing as much recovery because 23, 24, 25, it doesn't matter. But then once mm. you start hitting a certain age, now you can't eat whatever because it sits on your body. If your legs don't recover, you can't just go and run around and play three games in a day, um, all that kind of stuff. So if I was talking to myself starting out again, I will you know, probably eat better when I'm younger, even though you don't notice until later on. You know, probably do more recovery and take care of your body a little bit better. I'll play through some injuries that I wouldn't take back, but I probably wouldn't do it again yeah. now that I've dealing with this, dealing with stuff now, but you know, that's, I, you know, Joey Wright, a coach I had in, on the Gold Coast, toughened me up to, to not sit out and play through stuff. And that's kind of where I am now, but yeah, that, <laughs> he toughened me up a lot. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's got, kind of like this. I hobble around. I got two busted up cars, but. <laughs> I don't understand life, the logic. Life behind. lessons. Yeah. Life lessons. You can do more than what your body thinks. Yeah. I, like I kind of get that and agree with it and like it, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, I can't walk like, you yeah. know, I mean, did you ever have any serious injuries in, in your career? Yeah, ankles. Uh, I mean, every probably basketball, ankle ankle injuries. Um, had a clean out in 2016. My calves have kind of been the worst because they just kind of keep going and actually had a procedure um, like a week ago with some injections that I think will hopefully help it. But um, no ACLs, no um, kind of Achilles stuff like that, which is, you know, knees and stuff. Um, I've been fairly lucky, but just small little ones that have just been so annoying in six, eight week kind of things. Yeah. Can you give a perspective of what it's like for someone at the top when they're dealing with injuries? And I guess for, from a football perspective anyway, it was, wasn't like, oh, I've got time off now. It was almost like once you're recovering, you're working harder and you're working on your own in, in isolation a little bit. You never wanted to be injured ever because yeah. you do. You like you can't. I prefer to run around on court than sit on a bike and pedal for thirty oh, minutes. Sucks, man. Hate the bike. Yeah, you know, you, you're definitely doing more on the sidelines trying to keep fit because it's harder to to get that fitness up than running around. So, yeah, that's absolute killer. Just being injured, being off was it wasn't a lot of fun. That's for sure. Yeah, because. Uh, I'm keen to also understand, and, and as you, I guess you're, you're towards the back end of your career and hopefully you've got another 10 in you, which I'm sure you do with, your, with the jump shot that's still flying. But have you seen some of your former team, teammates who've come out of the game and I guess some have probably gone on various paths, but some who have gone on to do well and some who haven't gone on to do so well. What's that kind of been like? Has that raised, because obviously one thing I'm really promoting is trying to bring forward, you know, athlete transition and the importance of it because there are a lot of challenges, but also a lot of opportunities. And one thing, I guess, even in this interview that you reflect, Gibbo, is just like you're very determined and you're 
nature for, for hard work is so powerful to whatever you want to do next. But at the same time, a lot of athletes don't really know where to channel it because you've been so used to channeling it on the court. Um, you become a bit of a deer in headlights when you don't know where to channel it off the court. Is, is that kind of, have you seen some of that with your former teammates? Um, from, from yeah, your experience, I've, anyway? yeah, I've had some like, you know, Anthony Petrie, who he was, he's, um, he played, I played with him for like nine or 10 out of my, out of my 15 years. Um, but he, he's always been a teacher. So he's, he's been, he studied before he became a basketballer. So he's always had that to fall back on. He's now teaching, you know, on the Gold Coast. Some guys have, have been to college and had degrees that will probably go and use them. You know, I think Ty Wesley, who's um, you know, now back overseas, I think he's, he's had a degree. Ben Madgen has studied business and he's got some stuff. Um, I think the guys that don't have degrees or have studied well obviously are going to find it the hardest to, to know what they want to do a lot of guys kind of real estate and mm. i think what people don't really realize is yeah we don't have a degree but the the skills you have from playing team sport are next level you know the teamwork the competitive like the commitment yeah. um the hard work um you know all, all things that you need to play basketball the communication side of things um 100%. Yeah, it's it's not on paper but you have these skills. I was talking to Cole Adnam, who plays with us. He's studying something in the sporting industry and um, he's basically can tick off a lot of his hours because he's been involved in the sporting environment for so long that he has those skills already. So I think tapping into what they are and where you can translate them into a different job that suits you, I think that's that's a challenge, but if you work that out, I think people can be pretty successful. Man, I think that being a professional athlete is one of the best degrees you could ever have. As you said, you're in an environment where so many disciplines are at the highest level, but you're also in a very high emotional environment because if you're winning, everyone's up and about, and if you're losing, everyone, you know, you're the worst, you're the worst people ever, and it's a bad environment. And maneuvering through that and being a good person through that, um, I don't think a lot of businesses and, and various kind of industries outside of sport realize the potential athletes have um and i was speaking to uh, someone in in sydney actually started a business called athlete to business and the success rate that he has of um former players going into the corporate world or into form uh, different um kind of sales roles and things like that he goes that the performance rates are through the roof because of the traits that people have picked up from sport um it kind of echoes what you're saying, you know, what, what you kind of have to be at a high level at from a performance, but with your communication and your training and dedication is second to none. Yeah, our teammate from the Gold Coast, James Harvey, he was hired by, I think, a computer company or a, I don't know who they were, like some, yeah, I don't know who they were, computers or internet or something. He knew nothing about it. He was basically brought in to be like a team leader to try and help build and boost team morale and, and all that kind of stuff around the office. Like there's so, I think there's so many jobs that you could tap into just from using our skills that we do acquire from playing pro sport. Yeah, man, you can't, you can't beat it. Um, I guess for you, Adam Gibson, what's how many more years you got, you got left in you, you reckon? Well, what do you, well, what do you... I've got this contract. I reckon as long as the calves hold up, man, I reckon <laughs> I've got three years at least. Yeah. hundred percent. Are you 33? 33 i reckon at least three years 100%. people put this whole i used to be like you know early 30s you've probably done like chris paul today was busting up you know houston busting. he's like 35 like lebron who knows how old lebron is but he's still dominating best player in the world like 
I don't know Why what put it a number on it. Yeah, exactly right. Why put a number? But I don't know what it is. Even from a soccer point of view, it was like 10 years ago, everyone at 33, 34, it was like retiring. Whereas yep. now like Cristiano Ronaldo's 35, Lionel Messi's 33. And then Lionel yep. Messi is going to sign for like a billion dollars somewhere. Then you look at LeBron. <laughs> he's the best player in the NBA. He's 36 or something. Yeah. Man, you got, you got endless jump shots, I reckon. Mate, like I said before, my game is not reliant on speed or jumping through <laughs> yeah. the roof. Like yeah. I haven't had that for the last 10 years. As long as this stays somewhat sane and COVID's not helping. <laughs> but as, long as, stay, as long as I stay pretty sharp up here, I can, I can keep playing. Like, there's no reason why I can't, you know? So do you invest? We'll, we'll see, but I, no, I was going to say, do you invest in like your mentality or your mental well-being at all, especially through this period? But is there anything you kind of do to, to kind of make that tick in a, in a healthy space? Nothing in particular. Um, like, like Mitch, um, he does a fair bit of stuff. I think he talks to someone a fair bit and, and whatever. But I've just tried to, now being a little bit older as well, like in starting my podcast, it's kind of working with the NBL a little bit. It's kind of just opened my eyes up to more opportunities and, you know, where I could try and do more things. So I think just keeping busy. And I think the biggest thing is with this stuff going on is just making the most of it. Like, what would I actually be doing now if I wasn't in COVID? Like, there wouldn't be too much. You know, I'm saving money because I'm not out eating and spend yeah. money on petrol. Like, I'm, I've kind of twisted it and starting to think of the positives rather than the negatives. Awesome, I can't yeah. leave my house. You yeah. know, I, I'm saving money. I'm spending every day with my dogs. Like, I'm, I don't have to go and do promos and work. And, you mm. know, so it's not all that bad um, as what people... It is shitty but thinking of it the best way to get the most out of it i've locked into like kind of a, a diet now where i'm trying to i want to come out of this with an end goal and awesome, just setting man. new goals i think is pretty important glass glass half full mentality yeah but are you still able to yeah. get to the facility like and, and you know shoot your shots and stuff you still got the, the work permits for yeah, so we, we had a couple of weeks off. Um, we had to shut it down for two or three weeks, but we were, we're able to train three days a week now, which is good. Um, it's it's not great when you see other teams around, the, like Queensland are playing leagues and playing games. And so I feel pretty bad for us and United once we come out of this to start our season because we'll be way behind the eight ball. But we can train three days a week, go to the gym three days a week. So it's it's not all bad. Oh man, I'm gonna make sure. We're well, hopefully when this is all said and done, um, I got to get to a Southeast Phoenix game to see you flying around again because I, I did enjoy watching you <clears throat> play your trade in Adelaide, man. So um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. This is episode two. You said yes straight up, and I really appreciate that, man. You'll go down as one of the greats, and um, you know we we loved having you on. Hopefully, we can get you back on soon. And, and- Johnny Mac, I seen was on first. I I know him a little bit from Adelaide. We caught up with him once. <laughs> Yeah, he's very a- smart man. Uh, I'm yeah. honoured to be on there, mate. I know what it's a lot of hard work doing a, running a podcast. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's different, man. For those out there, for those out there that want to know the NBL and get closer to the NBL, you've got to you got to tune into Gibbo Goes One on One. They're they're weekly podcasts with Gibbo talking to everyone you know deeply ingrained in the NBL to to athletes outside of it as well. So, man, get get amongst the people if you if you if you're into. It. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. All the best. We'll keep in touch and I'll have a number one Gibson singlet waiting for you. Once yes, again. that's my boy. I'll wrap it on the podcast. You know that. <laughs> Thanks, brother. We'll be in touch. Anytime, man.
Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.